Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Creative Live, the world's best online classroom for creative professionals, with classes on songwriting, engineering, mixing, and mastering. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is also brought to you by Savior Custom Drums, quality crafted drums handmade in Denver, Colorado. And now your hosts, Joey Sturgis, Joel Wenasek, and Al Levy. Maybe we can talk about... Uh a little bit about Mac versus PC. I've got one thing to say about Mac versus PC and fuck Mac and that's it. And I'm not even going to back that up with any commentary or any opinion, just fuck Mac. And I'm going to leave it at that. I just want I want to know actually what all the PC Look, I know a lot of pro dudes who use PCs and it didn't used to be that way like 10 years ago when I switched to Mac. But now a bunch of people that I know use PCs like you guys Andrew Wade uses a PC. Uh, John Brown Monuments uses PCs. Like just a bunch of people who I know who are not idiots and not beginners use PCs for recording. It used to be that it was just like idiots, really. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like let's be real. Like about 10 years ago when home recording started to become a thing, if you owned a PC, you were an idiot and or a total noob. And, like, I had my Carillon audio PC and stuff, and I also had a server that I had hand-built, and, you know, I didn't do dumb shit. And eventually, they all just degenerated into garbage. But I don't know, man. Now, everybody I know with Mac seems to have lots of problems with them. I have lots of problems with mine. Well, you know where I think uh, the whole PC thing started? Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I could be, but I feel like... There was a period of time where the only way you could get a PC was to go to like Circuit City or some store like that and you bought Micro Center. Yeah. And you would buy a City. Dell or a Compaq or an HP and the like whole market was dominated by like those three companies and there wasn't a whole lot of building your own PCs, at least from what I remember, when they first kind of you know, like when Windows, what was it, like Windows 2000 mm-hmm. or, you know, came out, that was like the thing. So um, I think that made a lot of sense because the uh, software that they would put on those things would make your computer really retarded anyway. Because <laughs> there was always third party bullshit software that like would package AOL and CompuServe and like all this other garbage on there. And it made your computer run slow because... You know, you never got a chance to get a fresh operating system installation anyway. Like, as soon as you got it from the store and turned it on, it had a whole bunch of bullshit on it, and it ran really slow. What do you know about Netscape Navigator, though? <laughs> <laughs> no, I. You, you know what? I agree with you. However, I did have my PCs built, um, like at least two of them and a third one was one of those carillon quote-unquote audio pcs and now i know it's just like getting a store-bought piece of crap but there were two pcs that i had built by dudes who knew what they were doing that were specifically for audio purposes all like all uh components that were screened and checked out and bought for maximum performance and this and that and only software that I wanted was loaded onto it, and I knew exactly exactly what was going on on this machine. And then, within a month, they were still just disorganized pieces of shit. 
And I don't think it was my fault, but I feel like these days that might not happen. What operating system did you have back then? Man, I'm thinking it was 2000 or XP There was a lot of driver problems during that period. And I think that was another part of the problem is that it took a long time for all the different manufacturers to um, come together and, and make drivers that didn't suck. And part of the reason why that took so long is because Microsoft had to develop a program which was like, you know, look, you're going to go through all these steps and you're going to go through all these quality assurance um, things so that by the time you put out your hardware, your software is going to be like bulletproof. And it took them, I think they didn't even finish that until Windows 7. When did that come out? Windows 7 came out like like in the last five years, I think. So it took a long time. (laughs) Okay. So back in 2003, 2004, when I switched to Mac, I think then what you're saying is that my my concerns were legitimate. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I just think that if they ran, and this is just my theory because I don't have PCs, I have all Macs, but if PCs ran now the way they ran when I was using them, people who were professional wouldn't be using them. There wouldn't be this migration back to PC. It's just impossible. There's no way. Like the people who I know who use these that are pro have real high standards. I know you wouldn't be using a PC if it treated you the way that mine used to treat me. Right. There's no way. (laughs) But I'm telling you, man, now with these Macs that I've got, they are doing the same things that I was experiencing back in the day, which is, you know, I feel like a heretic, but it's making me want to go back. Like I've... Like this laptop, for instance, is MacBook Pro I've got, which is pretty decked out. 15 minutes to come back from sleep? Like, what is that all about? That's ridiculous. Don't you dare tell anybody on the DigiDesign forum. You'll get killed on the duck for saying such blasphemy. Yeah, I'm not afraid to, though, uh, because <laughs> I think that one thing that you should never do is, you know, rest on your laurels or just accept things about gear or equipment to be true just because... Lots of people on forums say it. So I want to be the first person to say as a 10 years strong Mac user that I don't think they're what they used to be. And maybe the PC guys have something figured out that us Mac guys don't. And maybe uh, maybe we need to step into the new era of home recording and computing because it doesn't seem to me like you guys have the same issues that... I used to have or that I'm having now with my Macs. Like, how often do you guys get blue screen of death? Never. Never. I mean, maybe twice, period, in the last two years. So, yeah, seriously. Like, I can't remember the last time I blue screened. And I mean, it's, yeah, no, I mean, geez, it's been, I can't even remember. Holy crap. Well, the thing with Windows, or at least with PC, is what we're actually talking about, is, it has a lot to do with the the self maintenance, like how you handle your system and how you know what you do with it. It's all influenced. I know that, you know, like you're saying, back ten, twenty years ago, or ten or fifteen years ago, um, yeah, there were a lot of issues, and it had nothing to do with the user. But now, where we're at right now with PCs, I feel like all of the issues are user based, because that was the reason why. Um, I stuck with PC because I start I started on PC so that's why I was a PC guy and I you know that has a lot to do with things 
you know, if you start on Pro Tools, you kind of stick with Pro Tools. That's just kind of how it works because you get used to it, you learn how to use it, and you don't want to change. But the reason why I stuck with PC is I was open to change, but I realized that, like, with the PC, you can go in and, I mean, you can go to any store and buy kind of like, you know, any, there's so many different manufacturers of hardware that will work with your computer. Whereas with like Apple, you're kind of narrowed to a certain amount of hardware that will work uh, because it's got to be specifically Mac compatible. It just, it just seemed like there was way more PC compatible things that allowed you to customize your system however you wanted to do it. And then the second piece of the puzzle was the fact that you when you install Windows, it's kind of like a programmer's operating system in a way because you can... You know, you can go in there and change it so that like your processing power is favored to background services or you utilize this much part of your hard drive as your virtual RAM and like all these different options that could optimize the performance of your computer for your specific task. Whereas Mac, I feel like just doesn't have those kind of customizations. At least I haven't really seen a lot of them in comparison. I got to say, though. All those customizations don't mean shit if your system isn't stable. And when I got my first Mac, which was a G5 pre-Intel, that thing was a rock. I went from having blue screens every 30 minutes or so to it not crashing. It all started to go downhill once once Mac went over to Intel. But, I mean, all those... I feel like all those customizations and all that stuff is cool... It's all dandy, but as long as the system isn't stable, then what what difference does it right, make? Right, of course. But now what you're saying is that it's that customizable, plus it's stable, unless the user himself goes and makes a mess out of the situation. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whereas with Mac, I guess the original selling point, original, now, mind you, not now, but when I got it was, you just turn this thing on, plug in your gear, and you're good. And it really was that way, actually, back then. It really was just plug and play, and this shit works. Now, not so much. And it really did start to go downhill once they switched over to Intel. And it's just been little by little, just a slow degeneration into garbage. But um, yeah, now I'm starting to think that maybe it's time to go back. I'm going to get hung in the street, drawn and quartered for for, for saying this. So, okay, we are back now after the holiday break. And we had quite a big holiday break. And uh, it seems like the entire music industry shuts down in December and January. I mean, it's like impossible to get anything done. Except for us. Except for us. I mean, well, the producers, (laughs) yeah. I'm talking about the... A&R guys, the label executives, um, the freaking managers, everybody is pretty much on a beach or on vacation or unreachable uh, for those two months. And I was going to ask you guys if if you've experienced the same thing. Absolutely. How do we sign up for that? (laughs) Man, it would be nice, right? I work over like every possible second of the holidays, except for maybe like Christmas Eve and I know you guys do too. And it's like, how do we get that job where we can just take off the entire month of December and halfway into the new year and 
and just resume as if nothing, we didn't miss anything important. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's what happens is you get Thanksgiving and then you get Christmas Eve, Christmas, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Then you get CES, which is a major convention that happens in Vegas and tons of people go, including a lot of music tech companies. And then you get NAM, and it's just like, boom, you've lost 60 days, like just in that period of time. I just figured it out. The difference is they get to set the stupid, ridiculous deadlines that we have to meet. So they're just like, oh, yeah, we'll just get this done by some arbitrary date. And then we're all like, holy crap, you know, I guess we're not going to sleep over Christmas and uh, spend any time with our families. And reality is they're sitting on a beach somewhere not giving a crap. And we're all pissed off and ornery because we didn't get any time off. And then they're like, oh, so how was your uh, holiday season? You're just like, shut up. I know what (laughs) one of my first fights was with a label. Yeah, I want to hear this. Was one of my first, well, not as a member of a band who was signed to a label, but as a producer having to deliver something. It was one of these situations where they booked far too little time. That happens. <laughs> yes, this happens. But I was offering to give a little extra time because holiday break was coming up and they're saying, no, we need it December 19th. It's like, no, you don't need it December 19th. You're not even going to be in the office December 19th. What are you going to do between December 20th, between December 20th and January 10th? What are you going to do with this album? Nothing. It's just piss you off. That's what they're going to do. Exactly. So why don't you give me till January 10th? I won't charge you. I'll work on it now and again during the holidays. We'll be able to sit, sit on it, you know, uh, let it, let it grow. See if we hate it or love it or whatever, you know add 13k by 0.3 db to the kick drum and uh and Uh, actually 15 (laughs) yes and make everybody happy but no it's got to be in december 19th uh and i just called bullshit and it was my first fight would they budge did they finally budge or no i just didn't hand it in till they got back in town. Uh, so, oh. <laughs> well, well, I'm going to try that next time. Yeah, That's the luck. Joey approach right there. Just fucking do what you want. <laughs> it didn't work out great for me, but I still don't take it back. Uh, and I don't feel bad about it. No regrets because it's just somebody throwing their weight around. There's no yeah. reason for something to be due December 19th in the music industry. It is true what you just said. Starting with Thanksgiving and ending with Nam. The majority of the suits, we didn't just call them the suits, are on vacation in the music industry. That doesn't mean that the people making the music are on vacation. They're actually working harder than ever because they have to make music, meet arbitrary deadlines, hang with their families, and get ready for NAM. Plus do Christmas shows and all this stuff. Uh, So actually, the people on the creative side of the music industry i think in some ways are busier than ever yeah it's just impossible to get phone calls answered or emails returned so the, the moral of the story is don't hit up your engineer or producer during the holidays we're pissed off and cranky <laughs> oh yeah cranky as fuck uh <laughs> yeah every single holiday season um for the past I don't know, five years has kind of been the same. It's like after it happens, after you go through it the last time, you're like, oh, next year I'm going to, I'm just going to put my foot down and I'm going to take a break and I'm just not going to answer emails. And every year it never fails. You fall into the same trap. There's always something you, you're like, man, I want to get that extra, that Christmas bonus. I'm going to take on that extra project. Just, it's only going to take me a couple days. And then it spirals out of control and 
you always become too busy and do too many things. At least if you're like me, that's what you do. So I, I figured out the secret to not doing any work. What is it? Over the holidays. <laughs> Please tell I, me. I think, well, I think, well, I don't know how much work you got done, but I think you tapped into the secret as well, which is move. Though <laughs> 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 no, I don't know, I don't know if you moved to a different city. So I would say that move to a different city during the holidays and then you won't get any work done. I would never, that would never happen in my world because even though I was moving, the first thing I did is hook up an ITB version of a mixing setup. And while I was supposed to be moving, I was actually mixing half of the day and everybody in the world thought I was moving and cleaning and painting and all that bullshit. No, I was actually shitting out mixes as quickly as I could. So the three or four days that I actually did move, I didn't die and I still got way behind. And I don't know, I just, I'm, I perpetually screw myself. I'm like, Joey, we always take more work than we can handle and we can't say no to people so what ends up happening is just an onslaught of work every day you come in and you're just behind by days if not weeks and you're trying to catch up and it's just an issue of who irritates you the most that day and needs their stuff turned in right away so yeah i mean i I do that i do that too it's horrible problems of ambition (laughs) it's the yeah definitely not saying not knowing how to say no is a toughie however this time around man i decided i was going to move and do it right. And I didn't want to be living out of boxes for the next eight months. So I just decided I was going to get it done and fuck working for a little bit so that once I got to work, I could be fully committed to working and not have all this uh, all this stuff hanging over my head move-wise. But that's because I used to live in a place where I shared the space with bands 24-7 and it was interfering with my work not to have a house. So uh, I made it a priority to have my house totally taken care of so that I could then have the mental capacity to focus on work. So, you know, everyone's everyone's different in that regard, but I think that in the past I would have done the same thing you did, which is pretend like I was moving and then just work the whole time anyways. Yeah, we just, me and you just swapped places because I was living in an apartment, so it was uh, basically impossible for me to have bands over. And I did that on purpose because I knew that if I did get into a situation where bands could live with me, it would ultimately end up happening um, because you always, you know, you get pitched the right deal and you want to do it. And part of the deal is the band lives with you. So you can, it's like you can never escape it. But what happened to me is I moved from the apartment into a new house out here in the country. And now I set up a, a whole band place in my basement. Now I've got bands living with me again. I can tell when you have a band because, you know, it's funny because he'll be like getting up at my schedule, which is, you know, seven, eight in the morning, he'll be in at work. And then slowly towards the end of the week, it'll be like five o'clock in the evening by Thursday or Friday that Joey wakes up and be like, hey, dude, so what's going on? What are we working on? And be like, five, <laughs> 5 p.m., dude, in a week? What the fuck? <laughs> I know. Well, it's it's crazy how skewed your set schedule will get because... There's a couple days where you just got to put in two shifts. I mean, it's just the only way to get stuff done. And you're at the end of your first shift and it's 11 p.m. And you're about to start your second shift and go till, you know, 6 a.m. And it's it's rough, man. But um, I've got bands here right now. And that's what's going on with me. I'm working on the Micah Relocate record. Uh, they're a band on Artery Recordings. And I'm wrapping up Conquer Divide right now. We're in the final stages of editing and mixing. And... Uh, both of the both of these records will come out probably before Warp Tour or around that time. So, pretty stoked about it. That's awesome. And are they? They're not both staying with you. 
Uh, well, the Conquer Divide was an interesting scenario because I'm dating. Well, one I was about to say that's kind of kind of staying with you. Yeah, <laughs> Micah is yeah. living is here. Is that difficult? Actually, yeah. And I'm gonna. I mean, we could talk about this if you want, but I would just say don't record your significant other. It's it's not fun. I was gonna say because if my <laughs> wife was in on a project, she'd be like, "What are you doing working on this business on the phone right now? Why aren't you editing my vocalist?" I'd be like, uh, "I will be in a half an hour, but right now I'm taking care of an emergency and negotiating a deal." Uh, why aren't you working on my stuff, honey? You never dedicated enough time to me. You you know how women are. They, they just they lay the law, and you're like, damn it. Yeah, <laughs> that that does happen. And there's a lot of, I mean, you know, when when you've got clients in there, and even when you when you live with your clients, there are times where it's like, okay, I'm gonna go and be by myself now. But like when you're re- working with someone that you're kind of in bed with, basically, it's like never goes away so it's like if you had an argue <laughs> if you had an argument about a song or a part that day like it might stick with your relationship for a while <laughs> <laughs> it, and it, it's very interesting and it, and i don't recommend it to anyone uh honey do you want to go on a date thursday just me and you and you know maybe we'll go see a movie or something or go out to eat well not really until you uh put that string part in that chorus that i wanted you that you didn't yeah. like. <laughs> well i'll add to that don't don't uh, record an ex-significant other either. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my did you God. do that? Yeah, I did. Holy Whoops. shit. Who was it? Can you say? <laughs> it was just this girl that I dated a while ago, and we broke up a while ago, and then she got some project together and asked me to record her, and oof. It's like, this is why we broke up. We don't need to be like collaborating on big decisions because we're incompatible uh, it just all came back the minute we were in a control room together. Was she yeah. at least like dating somebody else in the project to make yes. it really awkward? Oh, he, great. He was, pay, he was paying for it. <laughs> oh, oh <God>. shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, Can you guys I, stop making out in the vocal booth? Can we get to this next take? It's a little <laughs> bit weird for me. Thank no, you. No, that, that part wasn't weird. I, I liked him and I was over it. Maybe he wasn't, but he was super, super rich. So they were cool to pay full rate and I couldn't pass it up, but it wasn't that there was any lingering stuff between us. It was just the dynamic. The dynamic was weird because there's a reason that the relationship ended. And so when you're recording somebody, I think that you are entering into a, we can call it a pseudo relationship with them. And so if you have a romantic history or something, whatever the quirks of that romantic relationship are will come out all over again um whatever problems you guys had with each other will come out in the control room (laughs) yeah that's another hard thing about working with uh well maybe family but more so i feel like friends because it's it's hard to like you know if you have to break someone's heart about something it's pretty tough to do um like if you you know in a producing scenario um, that it's, it's kind of the catch 22 of the whole thing because you want to become good friends with your clients. But as soon as you become like really good friends, then you, you starts to, I mean, you might not make certain suggestions because you don't want to hurt their feelings or, you know what I mean? Starts to get in the way. They can assert pressure on you Yeah, and they have leverage. Yeah. It starts to get in the way of, of the whole productivity of the, of the relationship. Well, I know that on paper, we're just supposed to be brutally honest at all times, and, uh, but 
you know, real life gets in the way of that sometimes if you have a pre-existing relationship with somebody. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't just be an executioner put on the hood and suddenly you weren't friends or lovers <laughs> lovers with this person, you know? Yeah. Well, you can, but... Well, you, well yeah, you can, but then you're going you're gonna to definitely deal with the consequences of it. So speaking of new rooms, Joel, what are you doing treatment-wise in your new place? Treatment-wise? Well, tell us about your move first. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I finally got out of my basement set up after, God, nine, ten years. Who's counting? I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> to, as you know, to do a new build, especially commercially, it uh, requires you to save up a large amount of money. So this is something I've been wanting to do for maybe three, four, maybe even five years. It's kind of been a dream of mine. And every time I've gotten the money, something's come up like, man, I really want that Shadow Hills mastering compressor and that EQ and those converters. And oh man, there you go. I just spent $25,000. Fuck, what happened? <laughs> so um, it's just, you know, there's a lot of things are like, you know, I had a kid and then all of a sudden I'm like, man, daycare is really expensive. Okay. And then I had another one and I'm like, man, it just got really, really expensive. Well, maybe next year I'll be able to save up the money. And so last year I had a pretty good year and everything was growing exponentially. So I was like, okay, I got to get a new space. Damn it. I'm tired of driving, you know, 25, 30 minutes to work. I'm just sick of it. Like I, my, the value of my time has increased. So I really need to increase productivity to offset, um, just the ridiculous amount of work that I take on. So basically I decided that I want to work closer to home and a friend of mine had a building set up and basically I just stopped by to check it out one day and I'm like, wow, you got this other half of the building and um, it's pretty cool and it happens to be like a half a mile up the road. I mean, I could probably walk here in five to 10 minutes. So I basically decided that I was going to move in. He had, he was closing out on his lease for the next three years right there. So I had the opportunity to get in and uh, rent some space from him. So I said, screw it. I'm just going to go with it. And I brought in one, a couple of my clients to do the build and uh, we got it done in two and a half months and they did a really kick-ass job, except for the HVAC guys I hired. They kind of screwed me over and didn't show up for five months. All they needed to do, or, or sorry, five weeks, they had to cut uh, one piece of pipe or something that was a custom fit because they didn't case the area. Like they came in and they like, Oh yeah, yeah. We can knock this out in a couple hours. Oh, and we they, got it, bro. Yeah. They pulled that bullshit. And then like all of a sudden the guy, Oh, I, oh sorry. I couldn't do it this weekend. I went hunting. Oh yeah. Next week I'm going to be busy. You know, just every day. And I just like, I don't put up with that shit. So I got in another dude in a band that was friends with the dude across the hall and he knocked it out in like two days. And then I got back on track. So I just finished everything up. I just moved last week. I'm kind of getting settled and I built a mixing room and a small vocal overdub booth so I could track vocals or reamp guitars or whatever, or maybe do like a teeny drum set. But it's pretty cool because I have a whole team of guys that are in the building now because there's a studio across the hall. And if I want to outsource something like go ahead and record drums and, you know, all the parts are written, we've done all the pre-pro and I don't want to sit there and watch a drummer suck anymore. I can pay the dude to do it and I can mix a couple of songs while he's doing it. So it offers me a lot of cool things that I didn't have before where I can leverage a lot of my time and other people's time and kind of give everybody else in the building a job and keep them busy and get to work on more of the creative side of things and less on the mechanical side, e.g. editing, pitch correction, you know, the shit that we hate. Yeah. So it's cool. So yeah, I went out and bought a bunch of GIK stuff and I don't like a really overly dead room. Like AL1, I was in your room. Um, you've got like probably 
twice as many, maybe three times as many traps as I do. And um, it's, I had a little bit of that going on in here and it just felt really weird because I'm kind of used to mixing in a half live room. So I didn't go too crazy. I haven't put up my cloud yet, but I just basically got like corner base traps for every corner of every single room. And then I got a couple of like, uh, just like the standard Owens Corning panels and some of them have scatter plates on them. So they're not reflecting back or sorry. So they reflect back some of the high frequencies. So it doesn't sound like you're talking in a uh, coffin <laughs> in a pillow. Well, let me, let me just say that the room, the room in Florida, that's pretty much totally trapped that you're referring to. The reason that I have it like that is because it's a very small room. So there, oh, definitely. there were tons of uh, reflection problems uh, and just, it was not, it's not a good room acoustically. So, it was pre-built too, correct? Yeah, so exactly. you, you were stuck with the original dimensions. You couldn't just come in and get like, uh, you know, what are the correct dimensional setups? Yes, absolutely. So if I was going from scratch and building a room, I'd build it in a way to where you didn't need that much treatment. But I think that in lieu of starting from scratch with the room, the best thing you can do is to treat the fuck out of it or... Uh, do a really good job to learn the room. Yeah, well, I mean, there's two things too with that is that um, if you go out and buy a bunch of treatment for your current room, you know, it may cost you two, three thousand dollars to do, but if you want to build a room correctly from scratch, add a zero to that. <laughs> so at least, yes, absolutely. so you know, it's a, a kind of like in a weird way, a kind of a drop in the bucket to just go and grab some of the, I mean, there's like real traps and GIK and I'm sure there's a couple other good ones online, but there's a lot of companies that make a good pre-made trap and they're reasonably affordable where, like I said, you can go out and relatively not spend a ton of money as opposed to doing like a new construction uh, and get a pretty good result. GIK make great stuff. I stand behind their products very much. I've got a lot of GIK traps in all of my rooms. Yeah, I'm very happy with mine. I use the uh, real traps. That's what I got. But I don't have a lot of treatment. I just have kind of the bare necessities. And I was going to say, I think it's kind of interesting how over the years we've gone from, you know, in, in music production, we've gone from like an ambient, like roomy type sound to like really dry and processed and um, I don't know if I would have ever survived in that era where everything had to have like good space because I've never had a good space and I always work out of like less than ideal situations. But I kind of prefer that because I don't like I've been in nice studios and I sit down and I listen to stuff. And to me, it just sounds weird. Like I'm just used to hearing things in a normal environment, not like in a treated environment or, you know what I mean? Like. Uh, specifically designed for sound environment like it, all that is kind of odd to me I'm just used to hearing music like in a living room or in a bedroom so I remember you complaining to me once about going into studios and mixing and then coming out and you'd be like man it sounds so sick and then getting back home and being like dude what the hell is this shitty mix I just turned out in? I know yeah I, I think that's a huge part of my sound is that I'm mixing in a in a probably a horrible environment I mean it doesn't sound horrible to me but I'm used to hearing stuff like in that kind of space. And then, you know, I would go into like a studio and try and mix a song, like you said, and I would just be in love with how it sounded while I was there, you know? And then I drive home and literally like, you know, an hour later, put it in and play it. And I'm like, this sounds retarded. Like it sounds, <laughs> there's too much low end or there's not enough low end. Like the balance is all off. I can't hear the vocals. The center channel's screwed. Like it just, 
I don't center get it. Is actually panned left. Yeah, like I just don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> it has a lot to do with like, like the specific setup that you're working with. If you go into a new space, it's like you don't know if their speakers are calibrated correctly. You don't know if they've got a good center channel. Like, how do they have their? You know, um, do they've got? Is their amp set up properly, or you know, are they active speakers? Are they passive? There's just so many variables into the whole scenario that it just. I just don't know how people could work in, at least as a mixing engineer, how you could work in strange environments. I feel like you got to have your place where you feel really comfortable and you do most of your work and you're just super familiar with what comes out of it. Well, I guess it it should be said that there's no such thing as an acoustically perfect room. So no matter what room you're in, you still need to do the work to learn it, which in a way kills the whole notion of needing acoustic treatment for the most part. But I definitely do find that it, it helps to have some. But but regardless, you know, this comes from me when I'm in Florida having four different rooms to bounce around. And now this brand new room in Atlanta, every one of those rooms is completely different. They're all treated. So I, I feel like it's hard to come to some sort of mathematical zero point acoustically and no matter what you're going to end up having to learn learn the room and its quirks there is one room somewhere in the world that is well, i'm sure it's like zero but it's it's like a special you know it's a scientific project it's not like people go there and mix records because that would be really weird <laughs> we could st- hey, we could start that science mixing company though that's what i'm saying you know <laughs> <laughs> well the, the way i look at it is you know, the average consumer is not going to hear this in a perfectly tuned room. So I might as well hear what they're going to be hearing and, and make my decisions that way. Yeah, definitely. Being comfortable in your own setup is, I mean, I mixed up my basement set. I mean, Joey, you've seen my old setup. I had a carpeted floor in like a 13 by 14 room or something or 12 by 14 or something really ridiculously small. And it was the worst treated room, I'd like to say forever. But, you know, I was able to get songs and top 40 radio and stuff and mixes out of that room. So really, you just got to really learn your speakers and your room and learn how it translates. And once you figure that out, I mean, I really feel like if you're worth any bit of salt as an engineer, a mixer or producer, you know, once you learn your room, and how it translates, you should be able to kick out a pretty decent recording out of a space, no matter how good or bad it actually is. Yeah. That, that brings up a question that I get asked a lot. You know, it, and if you take into consideration that at the end of the day, every room is different and you have to learn your room no matter who you are or what level of skill you're at, you have to learn your environment, then by that logic, couldn't you do... Well, couldn't you mix records just on any old speakers rather than having good monitors? I, I actually get asked this all the time, that if all it takes is to learn the quirks of your speakers via referencing, uh, then why not just mix through computer speakers or whatever rather than spend the money on good monitors? And sometimes I have a hard time answering that question, honestly. It is a hard question to answer. I look at it like this in terms of speed, because having a really accurate monitoring system that you know in an actual treated room and all that stuff, um, or I mean reasonably treated, 
Uh, you can hear the details more and you can work faster because you can mix quicker because you're not struggling like, man, these speakers really suck in the 1K area. I can't really hear what's going on and really having to sit there and struggle and then maybe reference a couple of different systems. Well, I I agree. I mean, I've got a bunch of Genelex and while well, those aren't the best in the world, they're still pretty damn good. And I use those instead of computer speakers. So I agree. I'm definitely faster on good monitors. However, I know that Colin Richardson sometimes uses these small Bose speakers I've also got. And I know that Joey loves those too. And I've seen Sukhoff mix records on just wall-mounted entertainment system speakers and sound great i think the key is to explain i this is how i like to put it because i think it it kind of connects with most people if you're like buying a new product you kind of do your own research you go and look at the reviews you go and look at you know what are the specs what is it compatible with um how many uh how many times has someone returned this product or whatever and you kind of use all those different little sources of information to guide your decision in buying it right so i think it's kind of the same thing as where if if you have a lot of different listening sources um you know different size speakers different kinds of speakers you're informing yourself the best you can about the decisions that you're making which ultimately influences better decision making so i think having as many sources you know i like to have headphones consumer speakers um and then my monitors, and that's like my the three active things that are hooked up and I can switch between with my controller. So I'm making all my decisions with those three things, and then I'm bouncing the song out, and I'm playing it on an iPod with earbuds, listening to it on my MacBook Pro, and then going out to my car and playing it in the car. And I make more decisions you know, based off of those three listening environments. So the more you inform yourself about every little change you're making, um, the smarter your changes will be and the better the song will be because of it. Yeah, absolutely. If, uh, you know, for instance, if there's something that sticks out weird, but it only sticks out weird in one environment, maybe it's that one environment and not the mix. Yeah, and you got to be logical about it too. So AL, you got this new room um, you moved into, and I remember seeing some stuff about it being kind of rectangle or uh, square. Yes. So tell yes. tell us about the nightmare of getting that thing under control. Uh, so far, it hasn't been that big of a nightmare because I already had a ton of traps that I brought with me, tons of bass traps and high frequency traps already so just first thing i did when i got here and mind you this room is on paper the worst possible room you could get into but uh what i what i see as a benefit is that it's going to make me work quietly which is always better uh, because the quieter you work the less you activate your room yeah and second uh i uh, it's not that expensive for me to trap it because it's already 75% trapped with what I just brought with me. So, so far, with it just being 75% trapped, it's already pretty good. I've killed all the weird reflections and there's no strange low-end nodes. So it's actually, it's one of those situations where, yeah, if you saw it on paper, you would be like, hell no. But in all rea- <laughs> in all reality... It's it's fine, and I think that the fact that the ceiling is tall is probably 
a, probably a saving grace. But more than likely, I'm just going to go ahead and trap the entire room. <laughs> that's uh, that that's kind of where I'm where I'm headed with this. I still have yet to hear what a mix done in here translates to in the world, and I guess that'll be the real the the real deciding factor. But the little bit of work I've done in here so far, I haven't had a situation where I'm like, wow, that that's just horrible. I can't hear anything. I actually had a room at my place in Florida that I built, the wood room with all the windows that was dimensionally much better than this. And it was impossible to hear anything. Wow. So... And I think it was because of all that glass. Yeah, but I, I, I just kind of feel like you can't you can't judge a room by the dimensions on paper. Yeah, it's I've been lucky, man. One of the places where I did a lot of my work was in a attached garage to a house that was converted. Oh, the garage. <laughs> well, <laughs> I yeah, remember that. not that garage. Um, a different the garage. Other one. Yeah, the other garage. The one I think you actually. Yeah, you you've been to the second garage because I was in that house. That was what the Spider Man tat. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're we're not telling that story, but anyway, um, <laughs> that one's great. That's for another time. <laughs> yeah, I had a space where okay, so I had a like a ranch style house, and there was an attached garage to it. But they converted the attached garage to like a living space, so it had walls and floors and you know and a ceiling and all that, and it was insulated. And what I'm trying, what my point is, is that I've always been lucky because I'll move into a spot and I'll just try it. Like, I, I don't go in there and say, all right, let's get out the rulers, the mirrors, and, you know, figure this whole thing out with string and all that. Like, I would just move into a space, set up the speakers, and hit play, and just be like, sounds cool. Joey, if you build it, they will come. A field of dreams, Sturgis. <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed that a lot of my spaces work out because I end up putting a couch in right behind the listening position so my clients can sit there and and look at me oddly um <laughs> and it works because all the base you know information gets absorbed into the couch now i do have some spots in my current mixing location like if you stand to the side you're good you're going to hear nothing but bass but you know i don't have a lot of people standing to the side and i'm not getting out of my chair and standing to the side so it doesn't really matter so what you're saying is that one thing that you do as a rule is you have your speakers at least a few feet off from the wall. Yeah. Okay, so that's already a great move right there. I feel like one of the one of the things that people do in small rooms that aren't ideal is to maximize space is they set up in a corner or against the wall. And I that's think the worst right, thing to do. That's, yeah. yeah, that right there, you're activating the shit by doing that. Um, it's a trade-off. Do you want to feel band dude breath on your neck all day and smell their nasty unshowered hair or do you want to hear what you're mixing? Exactly. So actually <laughs> one of the things that I did in this new room is I thought to myself, hey, this room is just for me. This is for writing, for mixing, working on products and having my, you know, my own thing going. You know, when working with clients, I'll be in Florida. So do I really need to maximize space in here? The answer to that is no. So That's what exactly what I did, too. Yeah, so I'm actually halfway through the room with my speakers. So that right there, I think, is helping make a less-than-ideal room sound better. I'm like four feet off from 
any wall speaker wise. But you have to be careful too, because you can, there is always like in a square room or a near square room, there is always a null Absolutely. somewhere in the center. So you want to make sure that you're not sitting in that null because all of the low end content basically cancels out in that spot. And that was the, when I first set up in this room, I had an oh shit moment because <laughs> I hit play I on the first song and I was like, this is weird. This sounds really weird. And it was just because I was a little too far off from the wall. So I scooted a little closer to the wall, tried it again, and it was fixed. And sure enough, if I scoot my chair back two feet, I'm in that null. But if I scoot forward two feet to where I can see the screen and I'm touching the mouse and you know I'm close to the speakers, the null is behind me. So it actually ends up working pretty good. And if, if someone is sitting in the couch, couch behind me, they're not hearing that null either because they're past it. So no one is ever sitting in the null, and uh, I got lucky again. So <laughs> I remember being in AL space in Florida and sitting on that side couch. Whoa, and I'm yeah. Like, that <laughs> sub was amazing. I'm like, this is like the beefiest sub I've ever heard. And then when I finally sat down up at the board, I'm like, man, where'd the bass go? <laughs> yeah, totally. That I mean, it, you. that's something where I ended up just learning that room and... Uh, going with it because there was no other physical place to put that sub is massive but if uh if that room the one in florida that control room was maybe redesigned or had a different desk i would get a desk where i could have the sub in the middle of it yeah because you had it off to the side and then yes and then in addition to that you've got a chair that's off to the side too so it gets really yeah yeah i bet some people like to sit there <laughs> it's a stupid desk basically uh it's one of those um it was built for a control 24 and it has one of those iso uh iso rack things in it it off to the side so you can never sit quite in the center which is really annoying. <laughs> uh, I just got used to it, but um, it, it's definitely, definitely annoying. Well, it was pretty well balanced. I mean, you had the room treated really well. Yeah. I just remember sitting on that couch and like, oh yeah, just listening to those kick drums coming through and I'm just all stoked. And then I'd stand up, be like, what happened? Yes, <laughs> exactly. <turn> the bass. <laughs> well, it's one of those things where, again, it's not ideal, but everyone that works in there learns it and mixed too and we've had a good run of stuff coming out of there now it's funny that you say that you like that corner because i've had a lot of guys more you're more of a rock dude but some of the death metal guys who come in hate that corner because when the double bass, sounds like chaos yeah. yeah exactly when the double bass gets going or you know anything at high BPM or fast subdivision gets going, that, like you said, that that corner becomes total chaos. Thank you for inspiring me. I just came up with my next product, guys. What we're going to make is a set of earbuds that have a high-pass filter in it. <laughs> <laughs> for death metal dudes who want to just go through life not hearing any low end at all. <laughs> or black metal guys. <laughs> perfect. Yeah, sounds like it'll do well. Um, well, hey, we're going to wrap this up, you guys. I just want to summarize uh, a couple of the things that we went over. Um, so Mac versus PC, I would say don't be so quick to judge because I think the tables are turning a little bit. I know there's tons of studios across the country and across the world that are all Mac based, but uh, 
in my experience, I've, I've been to a lot of those and, and the Macs aren't always the best working uh, machines I've seen. So, you know, don't don't hate on that. <laughs> well, look, as a 10 year strong Mac user, and let's say that I've owned four of their laptops and four of their desktops and then one Mac mini. So, you know, I've, I've definitely, and I have Apple TV and I've had three iPhones. So, you know, I've definitely done my share, done my part for the Mac cause or the Apple cause. And I can say that they're not quite what they used to be. So, yeah, agreed. And the other thing we covered was uh, room treatment and, uh, you know, do some research before you set up your stuff, because if you're going to put a lot of apply, like a lot of your time to learn how to do this and get good at it, you want to make sure you're doing it in, in a good listening environment, because you can almost have to unlearn what you know, if you're in the wrong spot and you're listening to the wrong data. And the other thing was, uh, make sure you listen to your work on a lot of different sources. And I think that's kind of the secret sauce to mixing is really, um, just being willing to, you know, listen to your song on a source where you think it might get destroyed. And that's a good thing. You That's what you want to do is you want to find a listening source uh, where it does destroy your mix so that you can figure out how to make it better and not have it get destroyed. Skull candy earbuds. Yeah. <laughs> Go grab a shitty pair of headphones and your mix still needs to sound good. Yeah, the real secret headphones. to mixing, though, kick 10. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that, that's a good note to end on, so... <laughs> kick 10, do it. Kick 10. Kick 10. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Creative Live, the world's best online classroom for creative professionals with classes on songwriting, engineering, mixing, and mastering. Go to creativelive.com slash audio to start learning now. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is also brought to you by Savior Custom Drums, quality crafted drums, handmade in Denver, Colorado. Go to saveyourcustomdrums.com to start building your custom drum collection now. To ask us questions, suggest topics, and interact, visit URMacademy.com and subscribe today.